if you're visiting with us this morning, um, I'm sorry you picked about the worst time to visit um, because this is our Vision Sunday slash annual meeting. And so um, we're going to actually, the one time a year, we're going to talk about things like bylaws and budget in the service. So um, buckle up if that's you. But I will reframe that for you. If you're visiting and uh, this is your first time here, you picked the perfect Sunday to come actually because we are going to talk about the heart of the church um, what's our vision? What do we see God doing in the years ahead? And in talking about the budget and everything, what we're going to try to do is just give you a sense of our heart and transparency and kind of where we like to put our investment and all that kind of stuff. So, so anyways, if you're here, you picked the perfect Sunday, you're going to be great. And all of you, you know, that are not new, that are scared of the, the idea of walking through the budget, we made it really delightful and painless. So you're going to be fine. I want to start by talking through um, a passage of scripture that's on my heart. So what we try to do once a year as we go through this is just ask the question of like, like vision, what is, what is ahead? So we're not just going to look at um, the dollars of the money of what we're going to do. We're looking at what's the heart behind all of that? What are we trying to do? Where do we want to see Creekside go in the year ahead? And as I've been processing that, and we've been talking about with the staff and elders and everything, um, John 17 is just huge on my heart and has been. So John 17, if you have your Bibles, open up there. Um, what we're actually going to do is we're going to dig into um, John 17 this morning, just, just briefly to, to kind of give a, a picture of where I believe we're headed. Um, but we're actually in June. We're going to spend, starting in June, we're going to spend the summer um, walking through June, or, um, John 13 to 17. And those four, uh, five chapters are Jesus with his disciples in the upper room, and he's about to leave them. It's his last night with his disciples, and he's going through what his heart is for them, what he's teaching them what he wants them to know before he goes, what he's praying. And it's this intense discipleship experience that the disciples have with Jesus. And so we're going to spend the summer um, walking through that, tilling the soil, and come fall, we're going to actually launch some kind of clearly refined vision, missions, um, mission and um, values for the church, and just kind of codifying ourselves, I think, really around what's in John 13 to 17. For this morning, I want to start with just John 17, because here's the thing. When I ask the question, um, what do I want to see for Creekside in the year ahead? I know for a fact I can't do better than saying, what does God want for Creekside in the years ahead? And we don't have to actually even wonder about that. What does God want for us this year? We don't even have to wonder. John 17 is Jesus standing there um, with his disciples, and he stops, he pauses from talking to them, instructing them, and he begins talking to the Father, and he prays for his disciples. And what he prays for them lays out what is his heart um, for us, for his church, and he even prays directly for us, as we'll see in a minute. So I'm going to pull out three things briefly out of John 17. The first comes in the first few verses. So when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So here is how he begins this whole thing, and he's pray, like praying to the Father, thanking him, and he's saying, like, he's come, he was sent into the world, he came so that he could give eternal life to everybody. Now, that's a beautiful thing, a beautiful thought. We're, we're used to in the church the concept of eternal life, um, but I think sometimes we kind of mistake what eternal life is all about, and I think we tend to think of it like everlasting life, 
if that makes sense. So we think of everlasting life instead of eternal life. Everlasting life would be life that goes on and on and on, day after day after day for all of eternity. And like we've all been in church and you talk about like eternity and we'll always be worshiping God and you're thinking, okay, that'll be cool for like, you know, week-long worship service, that'll be cool. A few months, maybe, a few years, that's tough, let alone centuries, millennia of, so we think of the ongoing, never-ending aspect of it. And that certainly is an element of eternal life. But eternal life is about this. It's about the life in eternity, the life that we experience there in eternity. And what will that be like? Yes, it will never end, but also the life of eternity is going to be we are in the presence of God the Father. We're in the presence of Jesus. We're we're reunited with each other. There's no more sin, sickness, and death. And so the life of eternity is this thing that we're going to experience. Eternal life is that kind of life. It's not just about that we'll never die. It's about we're going to experience this quality of life when God fixes everything and he heals it all and he's the center of it and he is, he is the sun in this new world that he's creating and we get to all just be around him and with him. That is the beautiful picture of what eternal life is. And what Jesus is saying is he takes that eternal life, that life from the eternal age, he takes it and he brings it to us now, in the midst of this broken world, in the midst of everything that's hurting and all the ways that we're failing and, and, and suffering and everything else, and he takes the life from that eternal age and he begins offering it to his people now. We become the first fruits of what God's doing. And so when I, when I picture, man, when I picture Creekside and what does God want for us this year, I know for a fact this is it. He wants us to experience that eternal life. He wants us to experience who he is And look, he spells it out for us. What is eternal life? He says in verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what it is. It's not complex. It's not crazy. It's not like a big theological system. What is eternal life? It's knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ whom God has sent. That is it. That's what he calls us to. That's what he wants us to experience. That's what he came to this earth to help us experience is a, is a knowledge, a close, intimate knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ who's been sent. It's so simple, right? It's so simple. But I'm here to tell you, if you, man, if you became a Christian today and started there, you haven't mastered it. If you've been a Christian for 80 years, you haven't mastered it. Knowing God, knowing Christ, there is a simplicity to it We tend to make it complex. There's a simplicity to it that we're going to lean into for the rest of our lives. Uh, I've got this huge crush on Flannery O'Connor. It's okay because she passed away in the last century. Um, She's a fiction writer, and um, she would write all these fiction stories from a a, um, faith perspective. And she would say, she described it as, she says, you know, there's this, this grain of stupidity that the writer of fiction can't do without. And she says, it's basically this. You, you have to be like a little bit stupid as a writer because, as a fiction writer, as an artist, because you have to look at things that, are, that everyone else looks at and passes by. They process it, they figure out, they move by. But the fiction writer, she says, has to have this grain of stupidity of having to stare at a thing for longer and longer to see more and more and more of what's there. And I feel like that's the same thing for us. It's so simple, right? Knowing God, knowing Jesus. But, but could we be stupid Christians? <laughs> who have to stare longer and say, okay, yeah, I know God. Yeah, I know Jesus, but hang on. I think there's something more there than I was able to grasp on the first look. And we stop and we linger and we stare and we go deeper and deeper and we begin to see more and more and more that's in the simple thing rather than building up a complex system all around the thing. What if we could spend a year, you guys, just a year of just simply seeing 
Jesus and going back again and again and again and refusing to, to make it more complex and tricky, but just a year of leaning into the simplicity of, I want to know Jesus more. I want to stare at him more. I want to lean into that. How beautiful would it be for us as a church family, as a body, to just be those people that know Jesus deeply? And of course, we know it's, it's more than just what we intellectually know, right? There's a, there's a giving ourselves over to it. George Newton was a, a Puritan, and he says about this passage, he says, there's some things that have to be first believed before they can be fully understood. And I love that. There's some things you have to believe before you can fully understand it. And I think that's what it's like with Jesus. It's not just learning everything we can ab- about him. It's, it's that belief, it's that giving ourselves over to him and continuing to lean in and to know and to stare and to process. And we find all of this depth, all of this growth, all of this life that flows up through us. So the call for us is know God, know Jesus. I want us all to be like that this year. The second thing I want to pick out from down in verses 14 and following, Jesus is praying for them. I, I've, he says, I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He prays to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. And then here's where I want to hone in. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so I think that this is huge too. So the, end of, the idea of, I mean, what does God want for us this year? He wants every one of us leaning into that simple knowledge of him. If we could spend our year like that, we would spend it well. But I think this is just as crucial for God to say, for Jesus to stand there and say, okay, Father, you sent me into the world, and here he is standing with them on the night that he's going to, like, he's, this is his last night. He's going to go, he's going to return to the Father and saying, look, I came here, I was sent to, to do your will, right? To, to, to do these things, to bring the kingdom of God, to heal and to proclaim and to announce the kingdom of God and to announce all this hope and healing. You've sent me into this, and here I am, I'm leaving, but I'm sending them into the world as well. And I think it's this contrast, I think, between discipleship and apostleship. So we, we looked at last week, we talked about the harvest, and Jesus is standing there saying, um, he's, he's saying, man, the harvest, he looks out, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so pray that the Lord would send out workers into the harvest. And then the next chapter, the next few verses following, he sends them out as apostles for the first time, as those who are sent, that's what the word means. And so we definitely have to be disciples. We have to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn, and we'll spend our whole life doing that. But man, we also have to live into this identity of being apostles, sent out. Jesus is so clearly saying, as he stops and he looks at these disciples, his followers, and he's getting ready to leave, and he's praying to the Father, Lord, be with them, do these things for them. One of the things is that we would know him more, and the other thing he's saying is, Lord, I'm praying for them that just as I've been sent, man, I'm sending them. And would you be with them? Would you sanctify them? Would you be with them as I'm sending them into the midst of the world? I think the call for us is just to remember, man, there's this huge need and this huge opportunity. We talked about it last week. That, man, the, the, do we believe, could we look out at the people around us and believe not just that these people are frustrating and naive and, and um, you know, hard, like, they will not believe, they will not follow, they will. Can we, can we stop looking at everyone like that and can we see instead harvest fields that are ripe and believe, man, this year more than ever, we're going to be these people who are just sent by the Father, by Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did. This year, it feels kind of like, hey, we've had a, we've had a rough year. 
Um, let's kind of lick our wounds. Let's kind of take it easy for a minute because it's been rough and let's heal from it. But I, you know, as I look ahead to this year, I think what better year to lean into this than this year? Because I think of all the ways that God's prepared us, all the things that we've learned as we've gone on. Um, we've learned so much. I, I think, you know, a year ago, we learned how to do church in our backyards. And if you guys remember that, we've all been trying to block it out of our heads, but we learned how to do church in our back. That's crazy to me to think about the fact that now, now we are a group of people that spent a few months um, not dependent on what happens here in the building and not relying on someone that is, you know, okay, we'll have a preacher, we'll have a worship team, and I can come and go. But we had to spend a few months wrestling with, okay, how do I gather this group of people here and how do we worship the Lord in a meaningful way together? I think that's powerful. Now, I don't want to make that our norm or anything like that, right? But I think it's amazing that that's become a thing that we've all learned how to do. We've grown, right, as a people of God. We've grown in our understanding of what does it mean for us to be a church? What does it mean for us to worship? What does it mean to lean into teaching? I think this year we've learned a lot about uh, taking initiative. And so there's been, in that backyard church thing, there's been a bunch of people that stepped up and said, Hey, I'll give it a shot. You know, I don't feel qualified to lead a church service, but I'll give it a shot. We've learned to take ownership. We've learned to see needs and to take steps to do it. This year, um, some, of our, some of our Creeksiders did a thing called Trackside, where they found, stumbled upon homeless camp, did everything they could to just kind of help. Let's give them food. Let's give them some clothing. Hey, let's start doing a church service with them. It's been a year of kind of like taking some ownership for some things. And I've seen many of you step up. It's been a year of seeing new faces serving around here and people that, that um, you know, when you walk in the doors, you see new faces <laughs> than you used to do in, in all kinds of areas. And, and that happens in our official services together and outside of there. It's been a year of God raising up some new people. And so when I think of, man, what's next? I think, man, we're prepared for it. We spent this year uh, learning to like bear with each other. So, so some of you guys are... Um, just really uh, comfortable, chill people, and you spent the year like totally fine. Oh, you guys are masks, no masks. You guys are canceling service. You're doing it. Some of you were just chill the whole time, and that's great. I'm thankful for that. Some of you were really frustrated by different things this year. I mean, let's be honest. We were all frustrated at each other over different things this year, and yet God has kept you here. God has allowed you to stay through, like empowered you to stay through amidst frustrations and say, you know what, though? It's still a family, and you've stuck through a lot with us. And I think that bears fruit. I think that's cool that God is saying, here's this group of people, and man, yeah, they were with us when things were great. They were with us when things are hard. We've learned how to kind of stick beside each other and move forward on something. And I will say there's a whole lot of new faces that God has brought in the last 12 months. So this year, as we look ahead, God's brought a lot of new people. And I don't know fully why you, if you're new here, might not even know fully why God brought you here, but you're here, and I see God doing something. So as we look at the harvest as we look at what's out there, I think we can say, okay, God, you've done some unique things this year to prepare us. And we know it is not about just having a better service when we're together. We know it's about God sending us out. Jesus saying, God, the Father, you sent me into the world. I'm sending them. So what, what is God going to do as he sends us out this year? And the third thing, the last thing I want to pull out of this is the reality that we're sent, but we're not just sent alone. I feel like that's one of the biggest missteps I've taken as a preacher is um, the call to go. Just, just go and do it, right? We'll talk about it here and just go and do it. And it's been sort of sending people out as individuals, but I'm seeing how much that sending, as the Jesus was sent, he's sending his body, his family, his people together to go and do a thing. 
And so that's the, the third one I want to see down in verses 20 and following that I mean, we're called to do this together, to be united in how we do it. So Jesus says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So, so notice what he's doing. So he's standing there looking at his disciples. He's saying, I'm not just praying for these 12 that are right here. He says, I'm praying for all of those that are going to believe through their word. So that means those 12 told other people, who told other people, who told other people. Jesus is ultimately praying for us because this is how we became part, uh, one of Jesus' disciples. He's praying for us. And what does he pray for us? Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may, be, that they may become um, sorry, I, I skipped. I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I think these are some remarkable verses. So one thing that you learn when you, when you like go through seminary, you get your theological education, is you do not mess with the Trinity, okay? The Trinity is like, huge, it's important, like we all kind of agree that we don't really fully understand it, but you know how important it is that, that God is three persons and like one essence, okay? The Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're all connected, but they're also three, and there's this unity, this intense unity there, and uh, man, people have been ousted from the church over thousands of years for, for fiddling in the slightest way with the formulation of the Trinity, I think it's remarkable if we think of how important that doctrine of the Trinity is, and we think of that unity that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they share together. You think of that unity they share, and then to think of what Jesus says here. He's talking about how he is united to the Father. Um, in verse 21, that he prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. So there's the Trinity, the unity. He says that they also may be in us. And this, of course, isn't Jesus like fiddling with the Trinity or anything, but he's just saying this unity that we have, these three in one, this is so huge and central to everything. And he's praying in the same way that I'm in you, Father, and you, Father, are in me. I'm praying for my followers that they would be in us as well. This is huge. It's a big statement. Our oneness is about us being joined in somehow, mystically, to the Trinity, that we have a oneness that doesn't extend to our style choices. It doesn't extend to our politics. It doesn't extend to all these other things in life. But there is something about the way that we're brought into the life of the Trinity that holds us together as one. And then Jesus says, down in verse 23, he says, I want to be in them, and I want you to be in me, that, we may, that they may be perfectly one. I, that is, I'm sorry, I want to have faith, but I'm just saying, that's impossible. There's no way, right? There's no, how could we be perfectly one? I never would have believed it, especially at the end of this year, I never will believe it. How could we be perfectly one? And yet, here is Jesus praying that for us, for his followers, that we would become perfectly one. I think that is huge. And so he, he's praying, Lord, help them to know, like help them to have this eternal life that they know you, that they know me. And then he's praying, Lord, I'm sending them out into the world, but he prays as he's sending them out, may they, as they do this, may they be one. May they be perfectly one. May they be caught up in who we are together. And man, that is just so deeply my prayer for us this year. So deeply my prayer for us this year is that we would all have that experience of the eternal life that we find in Jesus. 
that we would see God and who he is, and not just, not just that, but that we would see God through the eyes of Jesus, seeing that he's not just God, but he's our God, right? And that he's not just worthy to be worshipped, but that I belong to him, and somehow he also belongs to me, that through Christ we've been reconciled and healed. I want so badly for us to spend a year just investing further, further, further in knowing who he is. And I want so much for us this year to recognize the depth of what it means that we're sent out by God into the world around us. And I want so much for us to see how powerful that is when we do that together, that we're joined together as a family. So the, the one helpful way I found this week to think about this is, is um, looking back to the glory days, which as you know is high school football for me, okay? So high school football, I, I played, I was much skinnier, I was a lineman, offense, defense, um, but we were a small Christian school, so we had 13 people on our team. 13 people, and if you know football, you have to have 11 people on the field. So this was a tiny, tiny little bench. And I remember, like, one of the first games we played against one of the big high schools in our area, they had probably 40. You know, they've got first, second, third string. They've got, like, 40 people there. And so they're, um, they get in the stadium first. They run their lap around, and they're doing their jumping jacks. And it's like, one, two, three, and everyone's like, and we're just standing outside our 13 and then we go running in, and you could hear the audience just, like, gasp. Like, oh, my gosh. They were literally worried for our safety, you know, <laughs> as we went in. And we do our jumping jacks, and we're like, one, two, you know? And it's like, oh, these poor kids, right? But the thing about us was uh, we were insanely good, okay? We were insanely good. And so we were, we were undefeated in football, baseball, and basketball my last three years of high school. We were amazing. I was a huge part of that. And... Uh, <laughs> But we were so good. So what we did, we, we'd come in, right? And it was like, how are these kids going to survive? And then when we got out onto the field, we actually ran a no-huddle offense, which is insane for high schoolers, okay? We'd run, so usually you huddle up, you decide on the play that you're going to do, you explain, okay, hey, that means you're over here, do that. Then you go up to the line or whatever. The way we did it was no huddle. So we would end the play, rush right back up to the line. The quarterback would yell out, Twins left, twins left, 587, hut, and we'd go. And from that little sentence, we all knew exactly what the play was, exactly what we were doing, and we had this, like, ex-military drill instructor that kept us in shape. So all these, you know, fourth strings, and we were just running them into the ground. It was, it was incredible. So what does that mean? I think that's like us as a church. I think that, man, there was, to run a no-huddle offense like that, you have to have this, this oneness, right? You have to have this agreement. You have to all understand what's going on and what role you play. And so there's this unity around what you're doing that you have to follow. And man, we had that down. And I think also just the no huddle aspect, I keep thinking of it. You know, we need to huddle way less than we think we do, right? I mean, we think we need to keep coming back and no, we know what we need to do every week, don't we? We know what we need to do. God is, the spirit of God is empowering us. He's connecting us together and he's leading us to do something amazing. And if we have this unity and this empowerment of the spirit, man, we can just go out. And I think, you know, we were, we were 13 people, but people didn't know who those 13 were, you know? I mean, we had, we had Bo and we had David and we had Brian, we had Mark Buving and, you know, and so... It was who we had, and I think, of, I think of us, man, and I look at these faces, and I think, you know, what could we accomplish? But I look at these faces, and I'm thinking, oh, man, we can accomplish so much because these are people empowered by the Spirit of God, and I've seen God do amazing things through you. And so my prayer for this year, man, let's know God more. Let's follow that sending that he sends us out, and let's do it together. Let's lean in and invest this year in in connecting with each other, investing in each other, and just going together in all sorts of different ways. And man, I am, I am so excited to see what God does. So 
I'm not calling you to some powerful action right now. I'm not calling you to some big strategy yet. What I wanted us to do is this. Recognize that this is Jesus praying for us. And I want to call us to pray the same things for us that Jesus prayed for us. So let's spend this summer just praying. Okay, Lord, this is your prayer. Let's do it. And I'm going to say, starting in June, we're going to do that. We're going to look through um, John 13 to 17, and we're just going to sit at Jesus' feet with the disciples and learn, okay, what is he calling us to? And that'll till the soil. And then come fall, um, we're going to launch some mission, vision, values stuff that's going to, I think, really give us some really clear direction and vision. And I'm excited to just run all that side by side with you guys. No huddle. It's going to be amazing. Um, and uh, you know what else is going to be amazing? Talking about the budget and bylaws. Um, would, you, would, you, would you pray with me as we get ready for that? Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for how you have touched our lives, that you've changed us. Lord, you've spoken deep into our souls. Lord, in all of the um, proneness to wander, all of the insecurity that we feel, all of the hurt that we have, Lord, you come right down to the heart of that and you reshape us. You bring your life from eternity and you place it in our hearts so that we can live in that relationship and connection to you now. And Lord, I just thank you so, so much for this group of people here in this room, the people that are following along online. Lord, this is a family. And we're a family because you've made us that and you've transformed us and you've joined us together. And I pray this year as we look ahead that we would be a group that is so inspired by you, Lord, that we, that we join close together and we just run hard side by side after the things that you're calling us to. I pray that for us and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.